Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Today we're joined by um, a really exciting guest and friend, uh, Nick Hasselberg. So Nick, why don't you kick us off? Um, Where do you work? What are you responsible for? And tell us a a little bit more about your background. Yeah, thanks, Blaine. I'm happy to be called a friend. Don't even know what to say. yeah, I work at a the the largest um, largest natural men's grooming brand uh, in the country, Everyman Jack. Uh, I'm a VP of e-commerce and performance marketing. Uh, I oversee all of our marketplaces and our digital-led growth, as well as our internal media buying. Um, so, very focused on conversion in our marketplaces, and also focused on uh, brand reach. So upper funnel, lower funnel, all that good stuff. So how did you, um, why don't you just take us a little bit uh, back and give us a little context about before you got to Everyman Jack, where were you, what were some of the things you were working on and what led you on the path to uh, taking over as VP growth and of VP of growth of uh, marketing and e-com? Yeah, I had a really, I had a pretty interesting education in marketing. I started out in investment banking and quickly decided that uh, I wanted to have a career pivot. Um, always had been interested in, in marketing and curious about it. And so I, I, joined a, um, I joined a management consultancy really focused on brand marketing and market entry and really, it's really immersive experience. And I, I got to get deeply involved with companies that I had loved and admired um growing up with um so i worked for years with ab and bev um as an advisor on the marketing side uh for their um for their global office and i had a very cool job between 22 and 27 of being able to fly to all their local offices and to be able to train them on um their different types of consumers, the different need states that their consumers might have, how their brands were aligned to it, and um, talking about how to communicate all of the, um, all of the, you know, the, the different benefits and reasons to believe of different brands and how to make it appeal to consumers. So that was a great experience. Um, I spent a little bit of time in consumer insights, and then I had an opportunity to move uh, back to Boston um and these met these guys who had were making i I really i had spent so much time with ab and bev i thought i thought i knew everything there was to know about alcohol and marketing um but the only the only uh the only thing i didn't quite know was how to actually be the owner of that i was really i had a ton of experience in passing over insights and Here's what to do, but I didn't have any ownership of it and execution. So I really wanted experience with that. And I met these guys who had a really close connection with Fireball Whiskey. And um, they had some seed funding and they were looking to do the same thing that Fireball did to whiskey to tequila. So Fireball made whiskey really accessible. I don't even think you can really call it whiskey, but whatever. It's an entry. It's an entry point whiskey, very sweet, spicy, a lot of different flavor notes that are happening. And it, I think we've all probably had a couple, um, couple bad mornings after a night with Fireball. So I thought it was a, I thought it was a good experience to to join this brand. It was called Ghost, and I was the first employee that was hired there. So. 
I had come from a background of management consulting and um, understanding brand architecture and brand positioning. I had no knowledge of how to execute marketing campaigns. So I was a little bit, um, in a, that was kind of a crazy crash course learning opportunity for me. Um, but I got to understand the ins and outs of all different forms of marketing. Trade marketing, meaning how are you structuring deals, discounts, promotions uh, with uh bars and restaurants and pretty much everyone at that um, below the distribution level. Um, I got in experience with ambassador marketing um, and we I think we ended up having a program of you know, 50 to 75 different bartenders throughout the country um, who we needed to make sure we're pushing our drinks and posting on social um, and then digital marketing as well. Um, so we we could work with a 3PL who would fulfill online orders of Ghost, which made it really advantageous for us because you've got a lot of marketing dollars that you need to invest in salespeople, like feed on the street and building up that local demand and supply for um, for your brand. But through digital marketing and at that time, it was really the advent of having a 3PL that could ship to anyone in the country for not a, a crazy amount. Um, there was an opportunity for some from digital marketing. That's where I cut my teeth on um, buying media on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so yeah, I spent about three years with that company. We we grew to a top fifty independent tequila brand, which is great. And I kind of felt like I was a little bit tired of the booze and wanted to move on to another role. Uh, I met the founder of Everyman Jack. We connected and he asked me if I could build a digital practice in Everyman Jack. And that was about two and a half years ago. So from that point on, we've just seen a crazy amount of growth. And um, that's I just kind of grew into the company and um, tried to take some ownership. And that's that's really where I'm at today. That's super impressive because I feel like that's a long and steep curve uh, in three years to learn digital marketing, ambassador programs, discounts and B2B. Uh, you know, what were some of the best resources for you to like pick this up? I mean, did you go to industry experts? Did you just learn it all yourself by doing? And then, uh, you know, digital marketing for, for alcohol is one of the most complex um, forms or e-com products because you have all the licensing and regulations per state. Was that also the case then? Yeah, I. It, it's tough because you don't get to own the fulfillment. Um, being a uh, interstate shipper, like it just wasn't an option for us back then. So when I say we had to work with a three PL, we're talking about like I remember one of the websites was like Sip Whiskey, and so. Um, being where they are in the distribution chain, they're, um, they're, these uh, these liquor stores are able to obtain licenses to be able to ship. So you have to forge a bunch of relationships. You have to make sure that you're finding those uh, you're finding those liquor stores that are in states in which you're distributed. You need to figure out what type of coverage they have of the U.S. Um, you need to be able to price accordingly um and sometimes that you're you're cha you're constantly changing the shipping that you're asking for consumers based on the zone that they're buying from so you, you need to be um, aware of that and then probably the most prohibitive thing is that you're not controlling the site experience in the early stages you're sending someone from this like very nicely branded website over to um another like um, a, a liquor store's website and oftentimes uh, losing the control of that experience, um, it's it's not great. So those are just you know th that um, the the relationships and the capabilities of the, of those three PL partners has gotten way better over time. Um, but yeah, there's some some of the hurdles in those early days of marketing um, alcohol for that. Uh, in terms of me just getting up to speed on digital marketing, uh, I felt like pretty lucky in that. I, I had that background in investment banking, like hardcore modeling, feeling very, very comfortable with an Excel spreadsheet. And I don't know if I would have been able to uh, grow into this role without cutting my teeth there beforehand. And really just 
what else can you do other than to throw yourself into as many resources that are available online? So you're reading blogs, you're joining Slack channels, um, you're hitting up, uh, you're picking the brain of consultants that you temporarily work with on Upwork. Um, you're tapping into your network um, for you know other people that uh, ended up getting into digital marketing, but pretty much you're just looking for any help that you can. And hopefully some of it starts to sink in. So Nick, after, um, you know, after you went to go, after you left ghost and kind of started your transition over to Everyman Jack, um, what stage was Everyman Jack at and what, what was the fit for you and the team that made sense for you to make that your next, uh, move? Yeah. I mean, having come from a startup and not knowing when my next paycheck would have been available, uh, it was important to me at that time to find a brand that I, I really, really believed in. And there was um, a greater chance of success at that point. Um, I, I was a little bit less comfortable of going from the concept stage. And uh, I, I really wanted to, um, I having that opportunity to grow a digital marketing program within an extremely well-established brand, it felt like a really nice balance of being able to bring a level of entrepreneurship, bring a um, bring a test and learn mindset to a brand that already had a very strong proof of concept. It felt serendipitous almost. Um, it allowed me a chance to, to learn, but not make the type of failures that end up um, ruining a company. Not to try, not to be dramatic, but um, it wasn't like, holy crap, we're like, you're, we're not getting a 2.3 X ROAS, like we're burning too much cash. What are we going to do? It was more so like, we're going to have our brick and mortar business. If we end up unlocking this, this is just going to be value. It's just going to be incremental. It's just all going to be on top. Um, so that's, I, I think it was just a, a really interesting time to join the company. Um, so that that went into my thinking for for why to join at that time. And then also just for context for the audience, one thing we were chatting about offline was the fact that Everyman Jack uh, was established within retail before, like you said, you came on and really started to expand the the digital marketing and the digital footprint and all the digital initiatives. So. Um, you know, what sort of scale was Everyman Jack at in a, in a retail sense when you first came on from like a scale, like what kind of stores were you in out? What kind of retail locations were you in? And, um, you know, what was like in terms of the team size, what was what did that look like? Yeah, so we were probably around 20 people um, and available at all um, mass retailers. So that would include namely Whole Foods, Target, um, Whole Foods, Target and Walmart. Um, and Walmart was somewhat of a recent development. I think by the time I joined, we had only been in, in there for about three years or so. The brand was, the brand was born um, from an, a napkin deal um, that put 15 SKUs within Target from, from day one. Um, so pretty... You don't hear about those types of things these days, but um, that's that's how the brand came to be. Um, some drug distribution as well. Um, no club distribution and limited grocery distribution. Um, and the really those are um, those were bigger customers and the longer tail was just the natural channel number. No, the number one grooming company in natural channels. Um, so. On a, on a per store basis, it's pretty small potatoes, but it's a really long tail and it ended up being a pretty um, fairly decent size of, uh, of business. Got it. So when you came in, right, um, and you started to like set up the store, did you guys have, uh, were you guys doing any online sales or, um, or was that, you know, a program you spearheaded? Like what was the state of your online strategy when you joined? Yeah. Um, like, like you said, we, we really started sort of backwards. And even when brands like Harry's and Dollar Shave Club were selling razors for next to nothing, like we had 
we had a website up, but um, to put it into perspective, like we didn't really seriously start to invest in digital marketing until um, late, um, you know, only only a couple of years ago. Um, there was just such a great opportunity in brick and mortar, um, and we really wanted to devote as much attention as we could to our customers um, who, you know, we have had built great relationships with. Uh, so we were present on Amazon, um, mostly selling through uh, selling through vendor. Um, seller was the minority there, um, and of course, store shared or pick up today at Walmart.com and Target.com. No, no digital advertising by way of sponsored search there, um, and then EveryManJack.com. Uh, we uh, we had really almost in a way of flagship, so to speak, had every SKU that the brand had ever produced available, um, but just no one really driving acquisition. So a very, very small percentage of overall revenue for the brand. Um, and one interesting thing is, like you said, you you guys were you guys already had a brand that was everywhere so people could buy it. They could go to all these different big retailers that um, they're familiar with and see your product. And then where you guys, where you get to come in is kind of tie in that digital strategy into this product that's all out there in the world. So one question that I have for um, people who might be building brands and thinking about getting it into retail, just for a kind of a how it works question. Um, when you guys do a deal with like say a Target, a Walmart, et cetera, does that, um, does that bring in their online channel as well? Or are, do they separate their online store from their on-prem um, sort of sales? Yeah, it's a great question. There is a 1P and a 3P aspect, usually with, your, uh, with mass retailers. So typically what will happen is that if a SKU is brought on to, um, it's brought uh, into the DCs of, of a Walmart or a Target, um, on the 1P side, they're going to be listing your product. It's going to be available uh, for sh uh, two ways of fulfillment. One is ship from store. One is pick up today. Um, alternatively, there's a marketplace. Uh, and that's a 3PL. Um, so that uh, that would that happens with both Target and Walmart. In Walmart, it's called Marketplace, and um, that's really where you can you can list SKUs that aren't available in any Walmart. Um, so you're leveraging the platform, you're leveraging the relationships to be able to get eyeballs on it. In many ways, succeeding on the 3P side in Marketplace with an item that's not store shared that can be used um, as really strong proof of concept for getting an item that maybe didn't make line reviews in one year, but if you're able to show really crazy growth um, on the 3P side, could make a really compelling case to have that be considered in a line review the next year. Got it. And then when, where did DTC, like in terms of like your own sort of experience in building out your store, being able to sell product through your own website um, and create that relationship with customers, where did that fall into your domain and, and the company strategy after you've already launched with uh, you know the digital versions of all these different um, retailers? Yeah, so like I think it's really about coming into a brand that has all of this amazing equity, um, not only equity amongst consumers but also equity with key buyers, key retail buyers. And I think the first thing you have to think of is this brand is priced a certain way. It's available everywhere. How am I going to get someone to purchase this from everymanjack.com? Like why? Uh, and so part of a foundational step in, um, in attacking this great challenge is figuring out uh, the hierarchy of needs and or the, the creating the desire for a consumer to want to purchase on your brand store and layering in the promotions and the capabilities and the products um, that give a real a really compelling reason to convert there versus elsewhere and also thinking strategically about what should be different about your digital experience versus your brick and mortar experience and for many different types of brands that that can be many different things 
if you're Bonobos, you want to have um, you want to have a brick and mortar location where I'm not even going to sell you shirts and pants. I just want you to be able to try it on. That's literally I want to have some presence in a major city and I want you to try it on. But this is still going to be fulfilled in the exact same way that it would be if you were to buy it from Bonomos.com. Um, sometimes, sometimes your D2C is meant to drive trials. Sometimes it's meant to focus on specific categories, which are high growth, whereas maybe in brick and mortar, they're more blocking and tackling. So I think in the case of how I thought about every man Jack in is digital, younger and trial. So this is about um, this is first and foremost, we're going to create a great digital experience where it's not just going to be focused on merchandising. It's going to be focused on education. Have to have that right. Two, this is going to be about a certain type of consumer, which is a younger consumer. And um, we know that if we're going to be if, if we're going to be offensive in digital, then we're going to try and um, focus on um, getting product into your hands and knowing that as you graduate over, you know, five to 10 years, and if we get you early, as you graduate, we're going to have this incredible layer of distribution around you, um, that, you know, once you start running to the store to go pick up things for your kids and your family, like we're going to be there for you eventually. So, um, it's all about figuring out for, at least in my experience, it was about figuring out the real role of the site, not just like, let's get every man Jack up, up online, but like, what is its place as a, as a channel within our overall channel mix? Yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think there's something really interesting you touched on, which is, you know, the brand equity and the retail stores. What are some ways in which you can transfer over that brand equity from retail? Because, you know, everyone knows about you, but the website goes up. People might not know. I mean, what are some ways in which you can do that? Did you guys, you know, reformat the packaging, make the website um, visible on the packaging, on the actual product itself? Uh, or did you just say, you know, we're just going to run ads and, and target our audiences and they're going to find out that way and didn't do anything really to just transfer, you know, that, that retail equity over to online? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a great question. There's a lot to unpack there. I, I'd say like, the I would say that while there is a ton of retail equity, there is still a there's there's still consumers out there that don't know us and that don't go to Walmarts and don't go to Targets very often. Um, so we wanted to craft a strategy that would be segmented and that, you know, there's going to be some marketing that's overall in service of the brand. It's going to be the tide that raises all boats. So no matter where you choose to convert, no matter how you choose to interact with the brand, we have to do that foundational storytelling to drive desire and to help people understand who we are. Um, on the retail side, there was an opportunity to tell our story. Part of what makes the brand somewhat iconic, um, like at least iconic to us, is that is the wood grain and the flask bottle and these really interesting elements of packaging um, but we kind of had a hunch from the beginning that there may be a large group of consumers out there that are like, you know, the husband's like telling his wife, like, hey, pick up that wood grain bottle again. And so there was an opportunity there to really match packaging with name, with brand and unite those together. So I think that our brick and mortar, I think our brick and mortar partners and our, our businesses there have really benefited from our above the line advertising in that regard. Um, as it related to growing everymanjack.com, I think first it was just about getting all of the fundamentals in place um, and, and really going through all of the channels and really un having a solid understanding of where we would want to place our investments. Not just where's the best place to invest if you are an, if you're a new website or if you're if you've been in it for a couple of years, but where's the best place for you to invest? That's going to have the most spillover impact onto customers that actually don't want to convert at everymanjack.com. They want to convert elsewhere. And how that might manifest is if you're going out with um, some, if you're going out with some Instagram ads focusing on deals, 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 
and you're not educating on brand and you're f- focusing hardcore on that uh, discount shopper, like you're not you're not benefiting the brand uh, overall as much as you could be if you're if you're really um, principled about your approach in advertising and making sure that you're covering off on um, on the positioning, um, the key benefits, all that stuff. And one other thing I think I'd say is just assortment. So like I said, you uh, if I can buy my sandalwood body wash at any CBS around me or at any Target around me, like, well, why would I buy it from you? Um, it, I'm just going to have to wait longer and I'm, I'm just going to go on my, my store run. So why should I? So there comes the limited edition. I mean, one of the ways in which we treated that is just the, the limited edition or the web exclusive products that you can't get anywhere else. Um, another way we've um, managed to provide some differentiation is with subscription and loyalty. Um, and um, we, we think it's really important as a brand that we maintain um, and we maintain a sizable customer base uh, in terms of our CRM and people that want to interact with the brand um, weekly. Um, because no matter your distribution in a Walmart or Target, no matter how many customers are purchasing you from Amazon, um, it's hard to be a really loved brand um, when you're not able to communicate with consumers other than your packaging. And that's something that we've recognized that everymanjack.com can do. Um, because of the level of interaction that buying from a website necessitates and the options that are available for a consumer to get to know more about you. Yeah, Nick, I think that in terms of just how you think about that whole strategy and tying everything together and why a customer should be coming to the website and what experience they should have and how that um, interplays between all the different other channels and locations that you have set up, I think it's... uh, really well thought out. So um, my next question would be in terms of all these different channels that you own, right? Like you mentioned, you you oversee the D2C. We talked about that stuff a little bit. Um, and then you also oversee a lot of other digital channels like, um, you know, Amazon's and the Walmart and Target and Instacart and these sort of marketplaces. So could you just give a little background to, um, you know, the listeners just about like what it entails to like manage um, multiple different digital channels um, and how you guys think about that as a brand? Yeah. So the uh, I, I lead one of our um, five different departments, which is we call it Omni. And so it's providing visibility to the company um, and it's being recognized as a department just given the, the importance of making sure we pay attention to digital and we do a great job scaling there. Um, part of... Uh, Part of what we focus on in our Omni team, um, there is a core team and the core team is comprised mostly of marketing managers as well as business managers. Um, But what makes it interesting is that Omni in our brand, in our company, it's a cross-functional effort uh, and many things are cross-functional efforts. But I would argue that working in Omni channel is probably uh, most requiring of, of great cross-functional relationships and collaborations more so than um, more so than most departments. Um, they're just so intertwined. Like creative currently sits under brand, but like you can't run Omni without creative. Um, you've got operations, which is fully, fully devoted to brick and mortar, but with a one P um you, you can't get any orders out without operations help. Um, and you surely can't forecast appropriately without demand planning resources. So there's, uh, to have a dedicated Omni team that's all inclusive, I, I, I would think that'd be pretty rare. So we have to be really, really, um, we have to play really, really well in the sandbox. Um, uh, and luckily we have a great team that we work with. But in terms of the day-to-day um, forecasting, Demand planning uh, is a key component of it, especially with uh, especially with Amazon, and especially considering the needs of our brick and mortar business, where volumes can be much larger, or we you know we really want to be in service of them, um, and so oftentimes they'll they'll take priority naturally. So um, 
Other times you'll see a skew popping because of Father's Day or you'll see a skew popping because it's been really hot for a couple months and it has SPF in it. And you have to be working really closely with um, your operations department to, you know, to be making sure that um, those trend lines are being identified and that you're planning accordingly. Um, also, um, having those relationships with our buyers on the Walmart and the Target side is really important. Um, and having relationships with our salespeople who are managing the brick and mortar side is important as well. Um, because digital isn't just important to brands like us. Digital is very important to, to Target and Walmart and to Kroger and to, um, to those mass, um, mass retailers as well. Um, marketing is obviously a significant component of it. There's a machine uh, that we built internally to generate content. So it comes in from so many different sources that oftentimes it's like, what do we do with this? <laughs> there's just, there's so much content to deal with. Like, how do we make sense of this? So we've got a, a system of contractors and agencies and internal people that are um, sourcing the content creators that are, um, that are briefing that are collecting the content, warehousing the content, that are turning these content turning content into ads. Um, that's a whole other operation. Um, we've got um, a team that's dedicated to our web, um, to customer experience, to UI and to UX. Um, and yeah, those are. And then I mean, obviously, staying in very close touch with. Uh, your FBA analyst or finance, um, you know, needing to keep track of budgets. And um, oftentimes when you're investing in Amazon, um, when you're investing in your website, we're talking about 100 to 200 SKUs. We're not talking about this one miracle product. And, you know, we're thinking about what could be extensions of this down the road. This is going to be first purchase, but what could be second or third? We're talking about 100 to 200 different SKUs per marketplace. So um, in the case of an Amazon or of our brand.com, you're not just thinking about how am I going to how am I going to induce trial? How am I going to get that first purchase? But you're also thinking about your profitability, not only by customer type, prospect or your retained audience or customer, but you're also thinking by category. And that's influencing how you want to allocate your budget to be supporting these different categories. Some categories might be might have a really they have really really high brand awareness, um, and they've got a great conversion rate, so they can take that lower ROAS because they're fueling top line. Versus another category which is higher margin, lower conversion, and you might say, "Hey, I, I I'm going to lower this one category in order to pay for this other category um, because maybe it's associated with a higher LTV or for whatever reason." So. There's a lot of balancing of the scales that happen, um, and it, it's typically endemic of a company that has a, a much higher skew count, in in my experience. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of one thing that you mentioned, um, you know, you guys have so many different moving pieces, right? Like you said, you have all these different SKUs, you have all these different marketplaces you're selling, you have the direct channel, you have the operational component, you have the seasonality component. Um, and one thing that you mentioned was how important it is for you to be able to work cross-functionally with all these different teams, right? So in a literal sense, like in your day-to-day, -day, what does that look like? How are you able to actually like stay on the same page and make sure that the, you know, the media that you're buying and that the campaigns that you're running are lining up with uh, the locations that you guys are in, as well as the strategic initiatives that the companies uh, wants to move forward with? Yeah. Um... We have lots of meetings. <laughs> we have like, uh, we've got many, many cross-functional meetings to make sure that there's a representative from each department that is made aware of what's going on. It all starts at the beginning of the year with a master calendar that is um, by month. You're talking about new products that are being launched, promotional activity at your retailers, um, campaigns that are happening above the line, campaigns that are more DR focused. Um, you're talking about, you're, you're listing when we expect displays to go live in retailers. Um, and so all these things are mapped. We attempt to map them out at the beginning of the year. And then at the half year mark, um, 
we pivot or change as necessary. We make updates. When it comes to how we work daily or how we work weekly, it's cross-functional meetings. So uh, we've established what we call like a tiger team where we've got our core omni-channel representatives that are present every single week. And then we have a representative from all of the departments and sub-departments. And so that's what I, when I talk about working cross-functionally, it's just really important to get people all in a room. And we've taken, I think we've taken a good step beyond that by introducing um, this, what we call cross-functional OKRs or objectives and key results. So it's not just about having the meeting. Um, it's also, we have, uh, we have actual objectives and key results that um, really lead to all of our success that end up being a part of our individual OKRs. So now as an employee, it's in my best interest to be doing a great job cross-functionally because it's how I'm going to be graded at the, you know, at the end of the year or whenever I have my performance review. Yeah, that's really interesting in terms of like blending OKRs together with some of those cross-functional teams that you rely on. Because I know a lot of times if everyone just has their own OKRs and, and you know, they're dependent on other things, it, it's tough to maybe keep everything um, aligned. So, um, you know, the one other thing I wanted to kind of get into for a company at your scale, you guys do do a lot of uh, media, different sorts of media buying and spend and everything like that. And one thing obviously is, you know, you had alluded to earlier, um, you know, sure, everyone knows that CAC is going up. Everyone knows that F Facebook isn't the same um, place for buying ads as it used to be. So. And, and, that, and you also mentioned how um, you know, stringent you guys are in terms of being like fiscally responsible and for how you guys fuel your growth. So as a marketer, how do you think about um, buying media and growing and doing it in a disciplined way? Yeah, I think it starts, at, um, it's, it starts by laying out the P&L that you've committed to. Um, and you know, you're making assumptions about ad performance. Uh, what can be tricky about advertising, at least for not, not your brand.com, but for other marketplaces, is not necessarily your ROAS and thinking about attributable sales over expenses. Um, it can be tougher to draw the linkage between your attributable revenue and your total revenue. And what you want to be able to see is a really strong correlation between the two. Um, and that lets you know that I'm not cannibalizing and I'm really getting net new customers. But of course, Amazon's not going to tell you with their most heavily invested in products, sponsored products, they're not going to tell you who the new customers are. So you have no real understanding of your NCPA. You're just kind of flying blind. And um, I'm kind of getting away from the point. But um you have to do as good of a job as you can, starting with your PL and what you've committed to and making some assumptions. Um, and not only calculating what your break-even ROAS is, but what's your break-even total ROAS? Or the flip side of that is what's your break-even MER? Like what percentage of revenue can you not go under given a certain budget assumption? So all those things should are foundational and they should happen um, you know, on a somewhat decent uh, cadence. Um, but other than that, I think it's important for an Omni brands to be channel agnostic and to be able to be fluid. You've got budgets that are set up at the beginning of the year. And really, I mean, there's some level of maintenance of a, of a maintenance budget. You know, if like, if you've got one channel that's dipping below a certain ROAS threshold, maybe it's not below your break even, but it's not where you want it to be. Um, you, I think there's a certain amount of keep the lights on marketing, but luckily we have the flexibility of just shifting budgets around somewhat seamlessly. Um, and within paid search, at least on all of these different marketplaces, you're not, you're really not committed to spending a certain amount. So it's very fluid. Um, and so for us, we, we really stopped looking at like for the website, as an example, we stopped looking at Facebook ROAS and you know, triple whale ROAS is great, but we try and take an even we try and take an even further view of lining up those PLs for all of the marketplaces and looking at the program as a whole. And where are the which are the marketplaces and which are the categories within those marketplaces 
that are your top line drivers? And similarly, which are the categories in which marketplaces are your profitability drivers? And it's just this constant sort of tinkering to try and land the ship. It's not going to be perfect, but you're just kind of using all available information to be able to make a pretty somewhat decently educated guess. Yeah. And especially with all the different channels and attribution, you're never going to be able to get it necessarily a hundred percent. So I think sometimes, like you said, just taking kind of a step back, looking at the the broader picture, what's performing really well, where, where, what are the products that are really driving profitability for you guys and being able to kind of draw correlations on in a macro sense. I think that's a really, um, you know, good way to think about it when you're managing so many different, different things. So, um, the next question I'd have before we you know, start to wrap up here is, are there any channels or specific initiatives or campaigns that, uh, that you've been like really excited about um, that you guys are either focused on going into the new year or just different like campaigns, initiatives that like really um, excite you? Yeah, um, I've been, um, I mean, one that has excited me in the past was um, a partnership that we had with we we've, we have with Marvel and the extension of that license. Um, and I, I think it's just been, it's been great to be able to work with one of the most loved brands um, in the world. Um, and I think, I think we've also approached that partnership. Uh, you know, we approached it really seriously and we didn't want to just slap on, you know, a sticker of, a superhero and call it a day. Um, we really wanted to feel like, yeah, this is going to appeal to Marvel fans. It might appeal to parents that want to be able to get it for their um, their teen or tween. Um, but we really wanted it to still feel like it was Everyman Jack that was a collaboration with Marvel and not a Marvel body wash. And that in, in many ways, it still represents this graduation, which we, we think Everyman Jack is. It's you know, you've graduated from the stuff that you were using in high school um, and you're using uh, something that's better for your body with way, way better ingredients. Um, so we didn't want that element of Everyman Jack to get overshadowed. Um, we wanted it to be a true collaboration and um, being able to work with Disney. Um, you know, they've they've featured us. Um, they've been able to feature us on home pages, on Instagram handles, on TikTok. Uh, it's just been great to work with them. Um, and then in terms of what I'm looking forward to in the future, um, we're, you know, like many brands, we're, we're really bullish on, um, on streaming and um, on CTV and, and, and linear. And I think we've been so focused on direct response. It's been, it's been really great for us to really kind of open the floodgates. And um, we have a, we pushed our relationship with, with Disney even further. And we're just, we're really interested in, um, in, um, buying ESPN, um, media for, for the, a back to school campaign. So I, I think we're really, um, we're really excited about August and September. Um, we're just, you know, trying to show up on, uh, just some, just some games. That's it. I, you know, I just got to go. Just gotta go where the fish are. I think I think that's the first time. I love that answer. I, it caught me by surprise. I think it's the first time that a brand hasn't answered TikTok, which I'm sure it's obviously a channel you guys are looking at and are also excited about. But this is such a unique angle, and um, you know, for any brand that's younger that might be listening, they might be thinking, well, of course, they're Everyman Jack. They can get a partnership with Marvel. But you know, I have a friend out here in Miami. Um, she's got this chocolate brand and Blaine and I recently went to Pura Vida, this, this bowls place, and she has it stacked up with custom packaging for them. So I think this is something brands should look into. Uh, you can do this at any scale, even if you're early um, and sort of build relationships with these partners, understand the processes and then continue to do it at a, at a larger scale. Um, but that one with Marvel and Disney sounds fascinating. Yeah, I will like, um, I didn't purposely mean to exclude TikTok. I think that's been part of our reach strategy as well. Um, and what's great is... It's more like it's obvious, though, at this point. Somewhat, yeah. Have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just... Uh, what, what's cool, though, is like I think we've paid our dues. Uh, we're, it, we've paid our dues in a sense that um, we've 
been flying. Uh, we've been woefully underspent on marketing for um, for a little bit since the brand was founded, and just given all the great luck we've had with brick and mortar distribution. And so um, I'm just really excited about the awareness opportunity. The distribution's there. I'm most excited about being able to, like I said earlier, unite that distinctive packaging with the brand name, and most importantly, with the brand positioning and what we're all about. Um, and I just, I'm just so excited to be able to tell that story. But yeah, you'll see some things on TikTok from us too. What's in it for you know for for Disney, um, for Marvel? Is it to find a way in which to get closer to their consumers? relate better you know what's the biggest value proposition is it a you know is it more revenue is it uh yeah or is it just connection with with their fans uh i like to think it's just because every man jack is so great but i um i i think it is just because disney has um uh it's not like we're seriously contributing to this massive global brand um i think it's a, i think it's about relevancy and uh, a recognition that in many ways, in many of the categories that we consume on a daily basis, whether it be apparel or the food we eat or beauty or what we shower with, like clean is, is here to stay. And um, it's, it, it's just something that we're all just getting more sort of more and more used to. Um, and we like to think that we were really one of the true original, um, true original brands that stayed true to our roots, um, in believing in better for you ingredients. Um, and we like to think that we built some equity in that space. So, um, I think that led to, you know, a really, um, I think a really solid partnership in which both partners have a lot to, a lot to gain and a lot to learn. Nick, last question here as, as we wrap up, um, yeah, I think it's really cool in terms of you guys are able to work on a collaboration with Disney and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, we're also in all these different retailers, we're everywhere. So let's, you know, lean into different sort of um, streaming and, and ad buying on that sense. So just for any brands that might be listening, like how, what is that whole process like in terms of like ad buying? How much does it take to run a campaign, um, you know, with one of these big streaming platforms? And then how do you guys think about um, successfully launching one of those as we get closer to, you know, football season? Yeah. Um, well, it's a good question. Um, I think that, um, <laughs> I think that, uh, linear continues to be very expensive, but I would say that the hurdles for CTV is, is probably most marketers know there, um, you can go on to mountain tomorrow and sign up and, and start paying for CTV ads for your brand. Um, and so, I mean, I think it, it's just a matter of understanding, uh, you know, it's, it's always about testing and seeing what might happen, but I can probably assure you that as a brand, if you're solely, solely focused on conversion, um, like the, the beauty of working on CTV many of the times is they're going to be able to have some connected tissue to let you know what your sort of estimate cost per um, your cost per purchases. Um, in, in our case, uh, it was really about having this great distribution and it being a question of, well, we can move beyond streaming into sort of more of your um, linear or um, linear programming or terrestrial radio just because this we, we're not going to worry about your ability to find it. But in making those types of decisions, I think you um, you first start with paid social because of the, the lowest barriers to entry and because you will never beat the CPMs that you're um, that you're that you're experiencing with paid social. And so um, the move to I, I think that the move to CTV as the next step makes a lot of sense. What I might be weary of is as a brand starting out, going into full-blown host-read podcasting as part of your marketing mix. And I think it comes down to thinking about your product and the role it's playing. Is this, is this brand new technology? Is this a brand new way of doing things that even just the slightest, even, even just hearing about it causes me to look into it? 
um, versus um, is this a brand that needs to be seen? Like, does hearing about this brand do anything for the consumer? Or is this a brand that needs to be seen? Um, or thinking about the demographics of your ideal user. Is this someone who like, is this someone that needs to be 18 and they need to see this brand being held or being um, used by an 18 year old? Or, and if my core consumer is an 18 year old, well, then I have, uh, I have some channels that are ideally suited for that versus um, the reality is on linear television, your median age for networks, you're looking at, you're looking at 60s, right? So if you're thinking of putting your money there and appealing to a younger consumer, there may be a lot of waste there associated with that spend. Um, hence the reason that all of these brands are moving into connected TV, happily paying a bit more on the CPM front to ensure that the message is relevant to the audience. So that's a long-winded way of saying that um, I think that the barriers of entry are low for experimentation. Um, and before committing to something that requires a high minimum, um, thinking really critically about the way that your brand needs to be experienced and what role it plays in, in a consumer's life. I think you nailed it. That's, um, you know, I think we can wrap up there. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, dropping all that knowledge. Uh, it was amazing hearing more about how you guys think about running things at Everyman Jack. And uh, for our listeners, where can they connect with the brand or, or find you? Are you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Um, you know, where, where can we find you? Yeah, I need to up my Twitter game. Um, our, our retention manager is, is much more, um, much more vocal there. Um, but yeah, I'm on, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my first name it's, uh, spelled N I C K L A U S, even though you can just call me Nick, but yeah, Nicholas Hasselberg on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, um, check us out on everymanjack.com. Um, like I said earlier, you can find every product that we make there. So give you, maybe give you a reason to convert. All right, Nick. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.